Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. Today's guest is David Perry. He is a well-known author and runs an amazing executive search business. He's been in the industry for about a thousand years um, and he's built loads and loads of money. So hopefully you take some bits of wisdom from this interview. Uh, I recorded it quite a while ago and I'm just catching up on some of the content here today. Um, we have been very, very busy internally, as I'm sure a lot of you have. What a great market. Long may it continue. Um, if you're a recruitment founder out there, please do reach out. We've got events happening. We have our private community, which is absolutely flying and required. And we've got our Christmas party coming up where we're putting 150 recruitment founders in London in a room together. What could possibly go wrong, hey? This podcast is brought to you by Luxo, the world's greatest talent intelligence system. And it's also brought to you by the Recruiter's Mastermind, which is our course that we bring recruitment founders on, where they get to work on their business and don't get stuck in it. So we take them through a six-month program where they're paired with seven to ten others. And in that, we go through their strategic goal setting and start taking them through a process of getting their operations right, getting their business automated, bringing virtual assistants into it, which is a massive part of it, sharpening up their value prop and their marketing and their automation and their outreach. Um, then we go on to really building their team and doing all of that good stuff. We also offer some uh, advisory for bigger businesses as well, where Charlotte goes in and fixes specific processes so whether that's your talent acquisition whether that's your tech stack which seems to be a big one and we are just really really busy across the board on that so business is good hope it is with you as well if you need any assistance do hit us up uh, i'm usually available so just hit me up on linkedin i'll come back to you and i hope you enjoy the show Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name is Dolta Darday, and I hope you're all well today. Today's guest is David Perry. He's a bit of a recruitment legend. He's he's written some books. He's made a ton of money, and I got him on because Rich Rosen introduced me to a load of million dollar billers and said, you know, you need to get under the hood of what, what really moves the needle for these people. How are they making so much more money than everybody else? So I hope you guys enjoyed, David. If you have any questions on this, more than happy to field it to him, get him back on. Um, we uh, I'm actively looking for more guests like David. So if you're a big biller and you're listening to this, or if you're an agency owner and you'd like to come on, love to, I'd love to have you on. Um, if you're looking to join a community of like-minded people, we have about 210 vetted independent recruiters in our dinghy group and uh, the information in there is top notch so if you'd like to be around some uh, like-minded people do hit me up i hope you enjoy the show if you have any feedback do let me know uh, connect with me on linkedin if you're interested in looking at our mastermind course i could go into loads of detail with that on you but we are coaching over 60 recruitment entrepreneurs on everything from marketing 
to virtual assistants, to automation, to strategic goal setting, to what to do in a big agency and how you can implement that in yours, and how you can get virtual assistants to do 80% of it. So I'm um, more than happy to jump on a call with anybody who wants to discuss that. Um, but for me, it's over and out and enjoy your weekend because it is Friday here at the point of recording. So have a great one and I hope to hear from you guys soon. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. This is the Million Dollar Biller season. I'm joined here today by the rogue recruiter, <laughs> David Perry. How are you, sir? I'm absolutely fabulous. Thanks for asking. Where are you joining me from? I am joining you from uh, Ottawa, Canada. Are Canadians really as nice as everybody says they are? Oh, no. And you know, and that's a and that's a great advantage as a recruiter, right? Most of my clients are in the states, yeah. and uh, and I and I get this comment all the time that uh, you know Canadians are supposed to be nice, and we are, but we're also those of us that venture up past our border, um, pretty intense. I mean, when I'm on the hunt, I'm on the hunt, um, and I and 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 I draw no quarter, but. Everyone knows that I'm Canadian, so they assume I'm going to be a nice guy, and I use it to my advantage. Yeah, I lived in Canada for a year. I lived in Calgary, um, and I went from Australia, where they're pretty blunt and rude, but they'll do business with you. Yep. To Canada, where they'll smile and be nice to you and never return your call. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. We're not all like that. <laughs> but um yeah well doing business in canada is not for the faint of heart no give us the give us the elevator pitch quickly i want to i want to um, hear some of the big facts um been in the business for 35 years on my own agency uh, with my uh, business partner wife for 33 years uh we've just clipped past uh 401 million dollars in salaries that we've negotiated i've personally done 1587 uh, searches now. We got a one year guarantee. I have replaced six people in the 35 years. That includes the two I did before I opened my own firm. Um, and I've written a bunch of books uh, Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters, um, Hiring Greatness, and Executive Recruiting for Dummies. And all those were written, just so you know, just like a, you know, I started doing this stuff before podcasts even existed, right? Yeah. So this is just me doing marketing, marketing on steroids. That's the, that's the elevator pitch. All right, lots in there to unpack. Um, let's start with a 12-month guarantee. What, Why did I do it? Yeah. Actually, it was a client. that It was a suggestion from a client. So years ago, I'm trying to win a bid uh, with an engineering firm who have just, who are competing to build the Ottawa Senators hockey rink. Mm -hmm. Okay, And they don't have the guy they need. They need an electric, electrical and electronic engineer to do the design work. And so I'm talking to the president, who's now a friend of mine. And, um, you know, he's, I've done great work. I've built a whole bunch of buildings. He knows my work. And, um, but he's nervous. I'm like, I don't know, I'm 32 at the time. I can't remember. I was young by his standards, right? He was a geezer. I hope he doesn't hear this. So um, I finally said, listen, what is it? I said, you know, track record is fabulous. You know this, you know me, I've done it. You know my clients. So, well, you know, I said, listen, if I give you a one-year guarantee, would you be happy? He says, yes, done. I said, fine, done. So that was a one-year guarantee. That's how it all started. Now, the, 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 the brilliant part of this, and, and he takes full credit, the brilliant part of doing this is I then had to go back to my business partner and tell her, my wife, 
<laughs> we're going to do this project um, and we're going to guarantee, like, find the right guy. I'm going to guarantee for a year. She said, you're insane. The regular guarantees 30 days. You're already 90 days. I said, yeah, well, you know, that's what I needed to do to get the deal. So what we did is we worked backwards to design a process. When we have a process, it's written about in the two books. Um, we have a process that a process that would make most HR people blush um, because we do it, we do it far better than they do. And the process has been designed so that I never needed to redo a search. So for me, given a one-year guarantee, I don't care. I mean, it's a big benefit to, to clients and everybody else that'll, that'll will pitch these things go, no, no, he's crazy. You can't do that. Are you and, mainly uh, a retained recruiter? What's that? Are you mainly a retained recruiter? Correct. Absolutely. We are, and, and people will tell you, we're, we're 33%. Don't move. Don't care. Last year, I said a year ago, we turned down 30 plus searches. And I, and I said to all the clients, no, listen, this is a uh, fee integrity is, is important. The guy down the street paid 33%. You're going to pay 33%. You don't pay 33%. You just don't client. It's as simple as that, but we won't hold it against you. And if you, and if you, if you aren't successful with your deep discount recruiter, um, call us, but we're used to this. We're used to batting cleanup for other recruiters when they fail. In fact, that's how I started back in 1988 as a one-man shop. I just couldn't get the deals I needed to survive. So I started calling the recruiting firms, the big ones, mm. and uh, introduced myself as a quote-unquote researcher. So I, when, when they would get a search that would gone off the rails, they would call me and say, okay, listen, you know, we need this, we need new candidates. And I would say, well, give me the candidate list you have. Let me talk to them first. And in, in, inevitably, every time for the first couple of years, I talked to candidates and they go, oh, well, they didn't explain that to me. I said, well, what else didn't they explain to you? And then I would turn the candidate back over to the, the other search firm and say, okay, here's the, here's the deal. Just go close it. So you know, I, that's why I do this kind of stuff. And that's yeah. why I can do this kind of stuff. It costs me nothing to be a, a good guy. And it costs me nothing to do the job right. How do you and your wife uh, switch off? from work you're talking to somebody who's a business partner with his wife so don't lie to me so it wasn't easy at first and we have four, we have four children they're all adult children um it wasn't easy at first uh, my wife actually uh was the reason i got into the business i i didn't have enough money the i was working at an agency i had billed seven hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars my first full year at this agency uh, actually it wasn't full year it was the first three quarters and uh, I made 52 grand and I decided it wasn't right. Um, so I came home one night and I was complaining and she said, why don't you do it on your own? She kind of said that. I said, I don't have any money. So she had inherited a house from her parents. She and her two sisters. So she convinced her two sisters to put the house up on the market. They sold it. She gave me her portion to fund the business. Wow. Um, and so her, the deal was with her, and this is the important point, I'm answering the question. When I decided to do this on my own, her only stipulation is I had to be home at five o'clock every night for dinner. I looked at her and said, that's impossible. You're crazy. I had to go out at night and wine and dine clients and talk to candidates. She said, at home, for dinner, five o'clock, every night, or no deal. And I argued it. And she said, listen, I don't give a shit. She didn't say shit, but I don't care. Actually, probably did. I, I don't care what time you start. You can start anytime you want to, but home for five. Um, and that has been a, uh, not a rule so much as, uh, yeah, it's been a rule. It's, it's been a parameter the entire time. 
So if, if I'm in town, I'm home for dinner for five o'clock unless there's something absolutely bizarre. And so then, what happens? What about, what about after dinner? Do you log back on? I try not to. You know, you get four kids, you're running between. I remember one year we had uh, four kids and, and, and she'd take two of them off to their stuff and, in the minivan and I'd take two of them off to the other stuff. We did that six days a week yeah. for a year. And then we said, no, I'm going to do this again. Um, so she handles the, uh, the legal, the administrative, the finance. Um, she has a degree in psychology. She does the EQIs. She's trained for emotional intelligence testing and assessment. And uh, I pound the pavement looking for the deals. I go out and get the, the candidates. And now we have our 28-year-old son who's come in as director of operations, who's modernizing the entire place. And it's cool, actually. He kind of scares me um, with, with what he's done. It's all good. Um, and we have our different segments, and we don't typically um, veer out of them. And we have, why, have, we have why haven't you scaled? What's that? Why haven't you scaled your practice? You mean why I haven't hired other recruiters? Yeah, I mean, look. Oh, I have. You have, but you've not. And, and they didn't work out. Yeah, talk to me about that. Well, I, 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 I've trained, I, over the years, I hired a number of other guys who were either other recruiters and I, they figured they would do better with me. But it's not everybody that can do the work well enough to back up a one-year guarantee. And you've only got to have stuff go off the rails one or a couple of times and have somebody say, well, it doesn't really matter to go. No, see, in our business, what I did is, is we scaled, but we didn't scale the size of the operation. We scaled what we went after. I started with project managers and uh, uh, retail managers 33 years ago. Now I do CEOs, CIOs, VPs of sales and marketing. Those are my uh, in SaaS. Those are my bread and butter. Um, and we do them for companies all over the world and we get hired because they have a need that they can't fail to fill. So if it's a, if it's a, an important, if it's an important assignment, that's what we're on. And we typically don't take anything but mission critical assignments anymore because they pay us well. I mean, you know, the average salary of the people that we place are, you know, 350 to $500,000 a year. And we're charging yeah. 33%. So we're, we're coaching like. I don't know, 40 plus uh, independent recruiters at the moment on our mastermind program. Um, we cover everything from technology to marketing to virtual assistants and lots more. Um, what strikes me about your business is you've got, a, you've got your value proposition down so slick. Did, did you have that from day one or is this the, the accumulation of like years and years of trial and error? And what do you think our value prop is? Well, you've just explained it. It's uh, we're the people who can hire, or who when you have a mission critical hire that can't be can't have failure, you're the one who can deliver it, and there's a twelve month guarantee with it, and the probably the the value prop within that is all the experience and the track record that you bring to it, and the probably and we haven't gone into it what specifically your processes are to get to that point. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I've never been, I mean, that's it. I've just never been able to get it down in, in, into one sentence. I'm best, I'm best experienced live, as my clients would say, <laughs> yeah. because uh, I'm just wired that way. Um, 
it did develop over time, but it, it, it's really, out of, it developed out of necessity and the fact that when we sit down with a prospect, because they're all prospects, right? We sit down with a prospect, we go through a series of questions. We do, a, we do a SWOT analysis of a prospect. And the questions that we ask make some of them bristle. Well, if they bristle at those questions and they can't answer them or they won't answer them, and it's more like won't, we'll walk away. If they won't answer them, then they're not a good client for us. And then we just sort of gently back away and say, you know, try Fred down the street. Can can you tell us what some of those questions are? Oh, they're actually in the book, uh, executive recruiting. So, I, yes, I probably can right now, but they're also in executive recruiting for dummies. Yeah, give us a few. Just um, here's here's one that most clients can't answer. We hire this whatever vice president or or chief information officer. A year from now, what are the three things they've done that you can sit back and say over dinner, wow, we're glad we hired you? Simple question, right? Mm. Seriously. Mm, a lot of companies can't answer that. So then the next question will be, well, you know, if there was one thing that you were looking for in an individual that you didn't find in the person you just let go or were considering replacing, what is it? Articulate that to me. Because, and, and most people will say, I'll know it when I see it. And I say, no, you won't. You won't see it until you know it, right? It's like, it's like believing in God. You can't see him unless you believe, right? Mm -hmm. Don't put this in the tape. <laughs> but th those are basic questions that don't sound very sophisticated or hard. But what they do is they reveal right away how sophisticated or deep your prospect is. And we're normally talking to the CEO. Mm -hmm. So that said, there's a lot of uh, startup companies in Ottawa where I live. Majority of them, I'd say 95% of them, can answer those two questions. You know, I, I would say to, and I say this to clients all the time, um, if we're hiring a CIO or, or if we're hiring a, a VP of marketing or VP of sales, whatever it is, I'll say who on your board or who on your you know, set of trusted advisors has ever hired for this position before? And if they don't have one, I always say, okay, so do you want me to give you an outside external consultant who will know what a CIO in this role looks like? I can find one for you. They'll say, well, did they work for you? No, no, you pay them yourself. But if you don't have anybody on the board and you don't know, for example, we just did this. If you don't know what a vice president of marketing or demand generation does for a SaaS business in a startup, if you've never hired one, why would I trust you to be able to interview my candidates? I'm gonna go out and find them. It, it's, my, it's my name on the line. I'm gonna go out and find these candidates. I'm gonna bring them to you. We're gonna talk about the opportunity. I can write the questions and we, and we actually, uh, when we do interviews, Anita and I sit in on all interviews. We ask the questions. The clients are, are on the sideline along for the ride, so to speak. And it allows them to jump in and ask follow-up questions. But back to the, why do, why do I do this? If they don't have someone that we can appoint as a search chair that actually understands what a successful, whatever we're hiring, in this case, VP of marketing looks like, I can recruit until the cows come home. And I can't give the candidate any valid feedback like why didn't we hire you or what went wrong because eventually the candidate has to go and make a connection with that you know with that ceo or with that founder 
And if, if the founder can't ask intelligent questions and have an intelligent conversation about what they expect and what they need, what they need this person to do, they're not going to hire them. And then I've just wasted their time. I've wasted my time. I've wasted the client's time. So a client that doesn't have someone on board that actually has the experience that we're looking to hire or has hired that role before, again, um, nine times out of 10 will pass. And the times that we don't pass, uh, I live to regret it because it's an extra, it's 500 hours of work instead of, you know, 50 or 60 hours of work. Did that answer that question? Sure did. How do you win business? Uh, is it all through referrals from your years and years of work or is there time that you have to dedicate to that? Um, it's a bit of both. Um, what, so what, uh, uh, the last couple of years have been a little bit different. Um, most of it is, uh, has been referral. I, um, I had the good fortune back in God, 86 to, um, be working at an agency. And, and I, you know, before I started my own firm and I read an article, uh, I was supposed to make, um, a hundred phone calls a day. I couldn't, I, I, I mentally couldn't do it. I get through 10 because I ended up having a conversation, right? Whereas the girls, the ladies I was working with, they'd have a, you know, they'd hand in their pump cards. We had used to have them on index cards, right? Called pump cards. And they'd go through their hundred cards, but they would pick up the phone and say, hi, this is Dortha. Uh, Dortha, is there any, do you have any needs? Hang up. That's not a call, right? Anyway, I'm, uh, I can't do it their way. My boss is upset because I haven't made my first placement yet. I'm making $500 a month on draw. I quit, I quit at the bank to come do this. Um, I should have asked what the salary was before I came in. I made a bunch of exceptions, made, made a bunch of assumptions. So I'm reading the newspaper one day and I read that this new company is coming into town to build this big building. And the guy's name is there talking about that. And I called him up and I said, hey, Dave, Dave Donaldson's his name. I said, hey, Dave, my name is, and um, I was reading this article today in the, in the paper. I said, like, do you have a whole staff? Because it looks like a big project. He says, no, I don't have anybody. I said, well, you know what? That's what I do, eh? I, I, I hire people for construction companies. Really? Can we have, he says, can we have breakfast? I said, yeah. And, you know, we did, I don't know, 73 hires over the next um, three years. We built a, a, a 40-story office tower in Ottawa. We built a bunch of condos on the Quebec side, uh, a bunch of condos on the Ottawa side. We built two towers in uh, Buffalo. We built a tower in uh, Toronto. We did one in L.A., that's how I do business development. I, I read the newspaper, you know, and it still exists, and I'll find a company, for example, in my sector or a sector I want to go into, and I'll pick up the phone and say, hey, my name is, and I uh, want to know a little bit more about your company. Maybe I can help you. Maybe I can't. I don't know, but let's have a conversation. And that's how it starts. And you still have to do that. Oh, not so, not so much. No, now I, now I have VCs and private equity guys and I, I did this one particular client. Maybe it was just the right client. I don't know. But I finished there. And, um, you know, they, uh, the, the guy, Nick, you know, the guy called me a mensch. I didn't know what a mensch was. I do now. And I sort of laughed. I don't know. And he referred me to somebody else. Have you ever been to Canary Wharf? You're, you're, in, you're in England, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, the, you know, the retail component? That was a referral. I did this deal with Citicom and, and Mr. Herman referred me to the Reichmans and the Reichmans referred. So that's how the business got started. I got passed from one real estate development family to another and uh, Canary Wharf, the retail component, about 2 million square feet. Yeah. And that's how we got to, that's how we got to England. And in England, I met a guy um, on a project just, just casually. He was working for a little um, project management company called Bovis. 
Have you ever heard of them? I haven't, no. Okay, well, they were the largest construction management firm in the world. And this kid's about 30 years old, maybe 31, a little bit younger than me. And um, the previous year, he had, uh, two, two, two years earlier, he had taken a brick company public and Bovis hired him. And um, then he was out skiing one day in the Alps and he met this uh, girl from Ottawa who he got smitten with. So he really wanted to move to Ottawa. Anyway, long story short, his pre previous three, his three previous deals were the refurbishment of the Statue of Liberty. Mm. He, he landed Canary Wharf for Bovis and he landed Euro Disneyland. So I said, oh, let's have a conversation. And he just retired two years ago. My son's 28, three years ago. Um, my son's 28. I hired this, I put this guy in as a director of PR marketing for a construction company in Canada called Elliston. They're about 307 million at the time, 310. Now they're 3.4 billion. This was their pivotal hire. They hired this guy as director of PR and marketing. He, re he re retired 25 years later as a divisional president. Mm -hmm. you know, not bad. Um, so, you know, you do that and you follow the people along the way and people say, well, how'd you get there? Or how'd you do that? Or why'd that work so well? And every time we hire someone and, it, and it's, it's a phenomenal story, we'll do a case study. So now I don't have to make as many phone calls, eh? because I've done all these books. Um, I speak all the time on stage um, and we do case studies and case studies come up when people are you know, doing um, searches. Looking for a vice president of marketing in Ottawa uh, for SAS, boom, up comes a case study. You know, yeah. CEO for construction, boom, up comes a case study. Yeah, no, look, track record's key. Um, and uh, it's, it is tough for people starting out, you know, because there's so much competition out there. Like everybody can just turn on, like get a database now, work from home, do all of that. There's so much out there. So it's what advice would you have for people who are at the beginning of that journey now? It, well, that's a good question. And so are you serious about this? Cause you're, 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 I, I doubt, I doubt sincerely anybody listening to you will bother to do this. They will not be smart enough to save their own life and do this really easy thing. Are you ready? Go on then. You know what a purple squirrel is, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Most clients don't. Yeah. So, you know, Find five companies, 10 companies you want to do business with. Phone up the CEO. To me, it's always a CEO, right? Mm -hmm. Voicemail, direct contact, it's always a CEO. But whoever you call, it's got to be an executive. And you say, hi, my name is David Perry, and I hunt purple squirrels. They go, what? I said, purple squirrels. What the hell is a purple squirrel? In construction, they've already used three expletives um, and sworn at me by this time. I said, well, listen, uh, sorry. In English, what does that mean? It means I hire the people that are impossible to hire. So I don't know if you're looking for a project manager or a construction manager. What's the most difficult hire you need to do right now? Give it to me. I'll do it on contingency. Give it to me. And then go out and work that search and hire that person and become the purple squirrel hunter in your marketplace. It takes a lot of effort, but think about what happens when you do, right? You get to bright, you get to brag and you get, you get nicknamed the rogue recruiter. I'll send you this wall street journal article because it talks about, well, there's, a, there's three or four different stories that she pulled out of me that day when I was, I probably had too many coffees. And one of them was about a search I did for a CEO where I had to phone this guy 50, 
51 times. I'm not kidding. We're in the middle of closing a deal and hiring another CEO. And I, I want to talk to this guy and I'm annoyed now. It's been going on for like six weeks. I'm just beyond annoyed that this guy won't return my phone call. I can't believe I haven't left. I've left 50 different um, voicemails. So I find out from his secretary quite accidentally that he's flying to Germany to go see a client. So I, I find out when and where and all that kind of stuff. And um, I phone into Germany the day before and I, I knew he was landing and I phone from car rental place to car rental place to find out, I'm pretending to be him, to find out what kind of car they had rented for me and if it had um, uh, not a cell phone, they didn't have cell phones back then, but a car phone. Yeah. And I finally found the, uh, the, the, the like second to last, I guess, uh, uh, a dealership that uh, uh, had uh, rented me the car or rented him the car. I asked for the phone number to give to my wife, blah, blah, blah. I know when he's landing. I waited 45 minutes and I phoned him and I said, Glenn, David Perry, you got a minute? He says, I'm on the Autobahn. Yeah. What do you want? So I pitched him and he said, oh, Jesus. He says, fine, I'll talk to your client. He has to be in my office. Uh, I think it was uh, the following Friday um, at nine o'clock. I said, great, he'll be there. So his office is in Vancouver. So I phoned my client and I said, hey, remember the guy where I've been trying to get? I just had a conversation with him. He's going to meet you. And he says, well, but we're closing on so-and-so. I said, no, no, I know that, but I, I think we can delay that a week. This is, I think this is a better guy. Swear, swear to God. He said, well, that's fine. I said, I've set the meeting up for next Friday. He says, that's great. I said, is, I said, is Marilyn at your door yet? And he goes, that's the secretary. He goes, yeah. I said, motion her in. So he said, why? I said, because she's got your plane tickets. My plane tickets. I said, yeah, you got to fly to Vancouver. That's where you're meeting him. My client went berserk, but he went <laughs> and we hired the guy and they had a very successful IPO. And, and, and that story is actually in the Wall Street Journal. They, yeah. they, uh, the, the other one that was pretty major was I needed to, I was trying to close a guy, trying to talk to a guy in Chicago. Couldn't, and, and uh, couldn't get at him. And it was around Christmas time. So I actually flew to Chicago, went to where they were having the company Christmas party, put on my tux, grabbed a tray, went into his table, delivered a, a thank you note size envelope with an offer that said, hey, remember me? If you have breakfast meet with me tomorrow morning, I said, I'll give 500 bucks to any a charity of your choice. We did. We met. He wasn't qualified. I did. I did give the charity the money. But, uh, you know, th that was another example. And of course, you know, the guys at the Wall Street Journal didn't believe a word of this until they'd done all their, their, their background fact checking. What uh, what's the toughest thing that's ever happened to you in business? The stroke. Walk us through that. Um, having the stroke. I, 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 uh, how, how does an independent recruiter like keep on making money if they have a stroke? Like? That, you know, so I'll tell you what I did. Um, I had the stroke. Um, it was five days before I could actually uh, pronounce a word correctly. And it was a while, a couple of months before I could do a whole, um, uh, a whole big, long conversation. So after my stroke, I was basically uh, awake and lucid 40 to 45 minutes a day. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, and I would get up and my day would be planned the, the night before. As I know, I'm starting to get tired. I'm starting to write things down. Um, and it was very intense. I, I found a couple of candidates that uh, I knew well, uh, very talented. 
Um, and I told them the situation, they wanted new jobs. And I just got up and pounded the phones um, mercilessly for 45 minutes, you know, 40 to 45 minutes every day uh, until I set up interviews and uh, closed these guys. And that's what I did for about six months until this Wall Street Journal article hit. And then it was just, you know, it was money from heaven. And after the Wall Street Journal article hit, we're actually down in uh, New York. And I have given an interview to, I went on Wall Street Journal TV. They got an internal TV station. Um, and I was giving an interview there. And um, the um, I talked about Zoom Info. You know who's, who Zoom Info yeah. is, right? Well, at the time, I was, I was beta tester number three back in 2002, yeah. 2003. And this is 2008 when I'm talking about um, guerrilla marketing for job hunters one, and I'm writing guerrilla marketing for job hunters 2.0. And you know, and Sarah asked me, you know, what's the most important thing that executive can do right now? I said, go to Zoom Info, make sure you're there. If you're not there, put yourself in, because when I do a search, I start with Zoom Info, and um, you know, if I'm looking for a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, left-handed marketing executive, I can practically put all that in. I can't put the left-handed. Uh, or the blonde hair or the blue eyes, but you know what I mean. And That's it'll right. come back with a list. If you're not on that list, you're likely you're not going to get the call. And if I get a list of 50, in that 50, um, I can, in a list of 50, I can bring 47 people to the table. And somewhere among those 47, we'll whittle it down in a month, I'll find three people that are absolutely spectacular. So if you're not in Zoom info, you don't exist. So um, I got a call the next day from the, uh, the CEO of Zoom, I didn't know him, he was a new guy. And the, uh, the server had, been, had fallen over twice during the day because of that. And um, what we ended up doing was he, they created a, uh, so we had a long discussion. I've I got a new book coming out and they created a, uh, um, uh, what's not called the community edition for Zoom. They created an app such that anybody who was looking for a job, this is 2008, 2009, that was looking for a job could use Zoom info for free uh, for up to 50, 50 contacts. And what they did when the book, so I put that in the book. And when the book came out, they hired a publicist for me um, who booked tours and booked um, uh, talks and booked you know, podcasts. They didn't have them at the time, but booked uh, journalist uh, sessions. Um, and that's how all this uh, stuff grew. And I can't remember why I'm telling you this. I can't even remember the question anymore. Sorry. That's all good. Um, do you still use Zoom info? No. Interesting. No, they sold it. Um, the founder sold it. And um, no, uh, the founder sold it. And after, after using it for almost 18 years and, and, and being a raw, raw Zoom supporter, yeah. um, uh, we were li literally cut off and um, our bills went from, it was a couple thousand dollars to, I think the, uh, the yes. suggested price from the, the sales rep was like 43,000 bucks. And I said, no, I said, no, no, like I'm used to two grand or three grand, whatever it is. Yeah. I said, and I actually don't need zoom info. I can do all this stuff. Just my, just fine without you, by the way. Yeah. Um, and um, they just uh, literally turned it off. So I said, fine, there are other tools out there. So after you had the stroke, you had the fortuitous wall street journal and, um, interview and that changed things for you it internationalized your your business and your processes yeah uh, let's take it forward to where we're at now and um, you've got your son in your business well 
what's that experience like? What's his vision or what's your vision for him? And what type of advice are you giving him on the on the type of company and the journey that he's going to go on? I presume like you've got like, I don't know, a few years where you're working your way out or you're, you're four. four. Okay, cool. Um, I, before you answer that, why, what, what's kept you going this long? Oh, there's, you know this, there's no life like this. There's no life like this. I've had, I had, I've, I've had dinner and breakfast with kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents all over the world and CEOs all over the world. And, 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 and that's what keeps me going. I mean, how does a, a guy who's, you know, the son of a naval officer born in Quebec city and, you know, um, you know, uh, definitely middle class, you know, scale their life. For me, this is a life, you know, this is a lifestyle business. I'm on a definite mission, which will become clearer in the next month or so to pay back um, uh, an IOU, so to speak, um, from 50 years ago. I, I just had my 50th anniversary of my open heart surgery done in Denver, Colorado in 1971. This was revolutionary surgery um, done by um, the finest surgeons in America at the time. I'm sure that if my father hadn't been who he was in the Canadian Navy and stationed at the United States Air Force Academy at the time, it uh, never would have happened. But my life was saved by a bunch of strangers who I've never met, um, who you know changed my destiny. You know, a box to what you're seeing now, instead of a box, pushing up yeah. daisies. So I'm on a mission now with a couple of my initiatives um, to put as many people back to work in America and around the world as possible. I, I just released a book, it's free. It's called Diary of a Successful Job Hunter. And it's a guy who actually went on my 10 week boot camp. I'm answering the question, 10 week boot camp, who couldn't afford it, who couldn't afford to go. It was like 4,999 bucks US. But this is a great guy, right? And he's in my neighborhood. And I really, I really liked him. I met him by accident. I really liked him. And I said, listen, you meet me every Wednesday at Starbucks. Um, you buy the coffee for an hour every Wednesday. And I'll take you through this, this boot camp. But you have to journal about it. I'll call it, give me 500 bucks. He had to have money in it. And 500 bucks really hurt him at the time. So we did. And he journaled. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but I expected a couple thousand words. No, man. He, he so I, I, I get... I get to keep the journal. I get to do anything I want with it. He wrote 52,070 words. He's a better writer than I am. Yeah. There's no question. You were doing Gary V marketing before Gary V. Yeah. I, I, I know who he is, but I don't know much about him. So um, and I, shame on me. Right. Okay. His, uh, his, ba his basic premise is document don't create. And that's what you were doing. Well, this it's, so Greg Quirk wrote this book and or wrote this journal, and I've just published it on Amazon. It's, it's for sale on Amazon. You can go to AppSumo and buy it for a buck. Amazon, it's, I don't know, $12. AppSumo, it's a buck. Um, and if you go to the website, mynewjobhunt.com, it's free. Um, so my goal over the next four years is to uh, do a couple other books. On one's Girl Marketing for Job Hunters 4.0 is coming out. Got a one coming out on Industry 4.0 Leadership. Um, and I'm going to lift off and um, put on a permanent um, treadmill uh, to, with momentum, this um, put America back to work stuff with my new job hunt.
Good for you. Talk to me about your talk to me about your son's journey within your company. What? So he gets out of McGill. Brilliant kid. Just smart. His, so he gets his brains from my father. Yeah. And my wife's father. It's just like it's, it skips a generation, right? And these two <laughs> brilliant men just zap. This guy's uh, he's six foot one. You know, 180 pounds. Really smart. Um, built like a brick shit house and um, got a degree in uh, sciences from McGill University. Only one of two Canadians accepted the year he went, got a small little scholarship. So he's really smart. And um, he wanted to get in the business. So I, I let him, you know, do some stuff around the business. Well, you know, he's completely changed our uh, website. He's completely changed so the way it's structured now. He's completely changing the way uh, the world finds us, which is great. He's completely changed, updated, and revamped the materials we use that we give up to our clients. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, all that stuff is done. And, and now, so I'm getting to the answer to this question. Now we're about to change. So we're going to do something that I can't really talk too much about other than to say, um, you know, the industry, the recruiting industry for years has talked about going into an agent-like mode where you take the best of the best, a Jerry Maguire mode. And... Um, sure and uh, represent them but i mean really go into an agent mode um you'll watch our business flip over the next six you know, next six months i'll still do retained search work but what i'm doing is i'm teaching corey corey martell perry i'm teaching corey how to ask the right questions and to identify the best of the best of the individuals and then have the conversation they need to because he's under 30 right so who's going to trust a kid I was 25 when I started. I had that problem. Who's going to trust a kid to ask the deep penetrating questions needed to, to, to help someone define what they want to do for the rest of their life? Well, you know, as you said, I, I, I don't, um, I, I've been cataloging this stuff for decades. So now we're going to an agent uh, model and I'm teaching him that stuff so that he can get on the phone, um, work with candidates, go, you know, who are the top 10 companies you want to work for and why? Why would they be interested in you and go out and, and represent them? And the, and the business model for the representation is a part I can't talk about how we're going to do it. Um, I, I, I think that doing him doing 10 deals like that a year are, is going to net him a million to a million and a half. It's a good problem to have. So his deal is, you know, when we go, I'm 61, when I go permanently, um, he needs to make sure that the business continues to, to grow and uh, he takes care of his sisters if they're not in the same situation. Does that answer your question? It does, David. That's us today. Um, thank you so much for your, your time. Really interesting journey. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. Um, well, I hope you find something useful in all that discussion for your for your listeners. Yeah, of course. No, no, there's 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 loads in there to unpack. Um, and just remind us again, if anybody wants to pick up those books, especially if they're headhunters, because be mainly headhunters who will be listening to this, which which one of the books would be most applicable to them now? Um, if, if you pick up executive recruiting for dummies, um, you will you will learn the process um it, it, it's is it flawless no pretty damn close 
And uh, if, you, if you read this book and start to follow the process and take it into your clients, you'll get better information from your clients, guaranteed. Um, and they'll be more cooperative. Contingency retainer, doesn't matter, guaranteed. You will, you will stand head and shoulders above everybody else in the industry. And Hiring Greatness is a, is a good book. Um, it's the story of my 1,000th search. So if, if you want to understand the attitude um, that you need to be a survivor, let alone thrive in the industry, Hiring Greatness is a, is a very good read that way. And uh, Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters, uh, I'm looking for um, contributing authors. Every time I write a, 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 cop, a, a volume of Guerrilla Marketing for Job Hunters, I include vignette. I'll write the whole book and then I'll go, okay, so I know that, um, you know, Ray Ann Thorne or Jim um, um, uh, Durbin write on this subject better than I do. So I'll call them up and say, hey, listen, I want you to, we're going to rip out this and I want your stuff in. So you put it in, your name goes in, your LinkedIn profile. So I'm starting to look for those people for that, uh, that final book. And the last book, if they want to be um, heroes, for their job hunters, they should go and download for free off of mynewjobhunt.com a copy of um, Diary of a Successful Job Hunter okay. um, and, and give it to their candidates. It'll, it'll teach them how to present themselves so when they go out on an interview, they don't disappoint you. They perform the way you want them to perform. That's it for me. All right. Thanks so much, David. My pleasure. Hope you have a great week.